every day, every morning, every evening, every moment, God, I ask that that would be our song, that we would fix our eyes, our gaze, our attention on your faithfulness. Because God, in reality, that is the only thing that will never let us down. You and your faithfulness. Uh, Guide us this morning. Be with us in a very real and obvious way. Minister to hearts that are in this place, including mine. It's in Jesus' good name I pray. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Take your Bibles. Go to Philippians. Chapter 4 is where we are this morning. All righty. Um, makes me laugh. I'm supposed to recap last week. I should be able to do that in 30 minutes. <laughs> let, me, let me read verses 6 and 7 just before I recap, and I will do a very quick recap of, of last week just to get us on the, kind of um, get us running. Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 6, is this, don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So last week we walked through the, um, the idea of anxiety, what it is, what it isn't, what this passage is particularly speaking about. We, we landed on the fact that it's not specifically speaking um, about um, general anxiety disorder, um, which is a, it falls into the mental illness category. This instead is talking about uh, that the idea that you are worried about what could possibly come around the corner, the, the worry that there are some uh, difficulties that are headed your way, uh, the implication that there is some level of sorrow or anguish that be, could be coming your way. And just to kind of jump right to the point that we landed on that the Scripture teaches us is that in the midst of those worries, in the midst of those anxieties, in the midst of those difficult times, the command that we are given is to first not worry about anything. So it's worry about nothing, but instead pray about everything. It's make your requests, your petitions, your concerns, your feelings, your, your worries, those anxieties, those fears that you may have. Lay those all at the foot of the throne of God and, and leave them there and pray and, and continue to run to him knowing that there is no reason to be embarrassed. God already knows everything about you, even the things that nobody else knows about you. God even knows the things about you that you don't know about you. And so there is no embarrassment. There's no reason to hold back. You just let everything go. Just start talking. Um, it, it, I think sometimes we're like, well, how, how do I dial and how do I hang up? Well, don't worry about it. Just talk. Just talk like you would to your daddy or your brother or a friend. Just talk. So worry about nothing. Pray about everything and be thankful for Fill in the blank. There are so many things. The old hymn was count your many blessings, right? 
There are so many things that we have to be thankful for. There's so many things that we have been blessed with by God. There's so many things that he has already done for us. And so we should make a, a daily habit, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more even this morning, of making sure that we reflect on those things we have to be thankful for. So, so as I reflected on not only last week's verses 6 and 7, but this week's verses 8 and 9, and looked at how those are actually pieced together um, in, in, in our series here, what, what I've landed on is this. Really, what I want us to remember about last week is that we are told to keep on praying. That, that is something that we must continue to do. And you'll see that the reason that I'm, I want to emphasize that is because as Paul continues, now he's going to talk about our thinking, and then he's going to talk about our doing. And, and so it's really interesting is that Paul is actually dealing with all three aspects of who we are. He's talking about our soul, our mind, and our body. Because those three are so very interchangeable and intertwined that, that what affects your body will affect your soul and your mind, and what affects your mind will affect your soul and your body, and what affects your soul will affect your mind and your body. And I should stop now because I did not think I would make it through that. <laughs> so we need to just, we need to keep on praying. So, so what, we keep on praying when? We keep on praying when we feel tormented and burdened about the things that haven't happened yet, but possibly could. Things that we're tormented and burdened about that haven't happened yet, but possibly could. But Paul goes on, he says this, look at verse 8. Not only keep on praying, but finally, my brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, Whatever, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any moral excellence, and if there's anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. So not only does Paul tell us to keep on praying, but here he tells us to keep on thinking. Keep on thinking. That word at the end of verse 8, dwell on these things. Things That word dwell means to think, to fix your thoughts on, to ponder, to be focused on. It's actually a mathematical term. To means, it means to take careful calculation, a careful calculation that requires great concentration. Think taxes. Yeah, I know, I'm sorry. I should probably have like given you a warning. I was going to make you grumpy first thing in the morning. I apologize. But think taxes. Think about the, the idea that as you look at the new tax forms in particular this year, and if you do your own taxes, then good on you because you are one of the few proud and crazy. But if you do your own taxes, you look at the new forms, you've got, got to figure out what goes where, how much goes there, when can I put this there, when can I not put this there, why do I put that there? You might as well just give up the why. Don't even try to figure out the why. But you try to do everything else and figure out the taxes, and it's with great concentration, considerable calculation. It's being very careful to make sure that you're focused on it. So, so, and actually this word dwell is more than just a way of thinking. This word dwell means to take account. It means to consider what you have. That sound familiar to what we talked about last week a little bit? In the midst of great worry and trepidation and great anxiety, take account of what you actually have. Stop thinking about the what if and consider the what is. That's one way we're supposed to navigate through this 
this anxiety. And, and what's interesting about this word to dwell on these things, to think on these things, to take careful calculation requiring great concentration on these things, it's a present tense verb. So in the Greek, it means this, keep on putting your mind back there. Keep on over and over and over. This isn't a 10-minute morning activity. This isn't while your, your coffee is dripping through the Keurig and you're waiting for it to finish off. You quick crack open your Bible like, all right, I'm going to think real quick here. It's, it takes intense, purposeful, and intentional work throughout the entire day. Let me, let me, let me uh, give you a, an illustration of that. It's, it's like driving a car. When you're driving the car, you're making constant small corrections to the steering wheel to get back in the middle of the road. Actually, that's not true. <laughs> you don't want to be in the middle of the road. You're making constant careful corrections. <laughs> I just showed you how I drive. You take constant careful corrections, small minute corrections to get back to the middle of the lane is what I meant. So that way you're staying within the lines and, and, and the shoulder. You're not getting too far on, on either side. The problem is, is that too many of us treat this dwell on these things as a reaction to worry that's popped up instead of a regular way of life. And so instead of it being the constant little corrections to get back into the middle of your lane, what it is is you are completely oblivious behind the wheel, you're not paying attention, and all of a sudden you realize you are on the shoulder in a rut, headed down off the embankment, and now you know what you have to do? Instead of the careful little corrections to get back in the middle of the lane. You have to yank the wheel back to try it, and then you overcorrect and you end up over here and you have to yank it back. And it's this horrible situation. But that's the way many of us live our lives. Instead of dwelling on these things that Paul is going to remind us of, instead of continuing to make those careful little corrections, we wait till disaster hits. And then we got to try to pull ourselves out of the gutter. Keep on thinking. Keep on thinking about what? Well, I'm about to disappoint a great many number of you. I'm going to run through the list here, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the list because it's a representative list. It's not a specific list. I'll explain that as we go. So, so Paul goes through and he says, let me tell you what to think about. Think about those things that are true, those things that are reliable, faithful, real, genuine, authentic, true, as defined by God. Think about those things that are Honorable, the idea there is worthy of respect, noble, even awe-inspiring. Think about those things that are just, the things that are right and righteous, meeting with God's approval. The things that are pure, holy, uncontaminated. Think about those things that are lovely, acceptable, pleasing. Those things that demand a response of love out of the person who sees it. Think about those things that are commendable, worthy of good reputation. Those things are admirable. If there be any moral excellence, that means if they're attaining a high level of moral virtue, if, there's, if they are praiseworthy. Praiseworthy, I want to focus on that one just for a second. When you consider praiseworthy, consider it this way. Instead of being like, oh, that's, that's praiseworthy. How about this? Can you applaud that thing that you are calling praiseworthy? in the presence of God. That's praiseworthy. It's praiseworthy if it lasts through this world and this lifetime and makes it to eternity and it's before the very throne of God and we're like, yep, we're still gonna just celebrate that. That's true praiseworthiness. 
So any of those things, Paul says, dwell on those things, keep on thinking on those things. So what are those things? What does it mean? Let me run through a few things that we may have heard that that list actually represents and, and maybe try to, I don't, I don't know, affirm some of them, tweak some of them, that things. We've heard a lot, uh, especially if you went to a Christian school growing up. Um, <laughs> sorry, I just had a flashback. Uh, a man who God used a great deal in my life. And, and honestly, I'll make fun of the, the school that I went to a lot um, because honestly, it was a boarding school that was meant to reform me from my sinful ways as a 12-year-old. It worked. Um, <laughs> um, and it, it had a great impact in my life and I love all the people there I love. I Just the institutional part of it was like, mm. um, but I still remember Mr. Mel. His name was Melvin Moody. We called him Mr. Mel. Um, standing up, and he, he had that booming voice, standing up in our chapel and actually talking about this passage and getting so animated by it that, and this is awful, but especially for Gallagher, sorry. So as he's going, this giant ball of something came out of his mouth into the front row and kids scattered. <laughs> and the best part about it was, he was like, this, I respect this. He was like, you know what? I got a room full of teenagers. There is no way I'm getting them back. Let's pray and be done with chapel. And he ended it. So you can pray that I spit and end church early, I guess. Um, sorry, it's just a flashback. Completely independent of it. So what does it mean? We've heard, if you, particularly if you go to a Christian school or something like that, you, you've heard this list is about. So what television shows are you allowed to watch? Those that are true and honorable and just and pure and lovely. Is that lovely? Is that pure? Should you be watching that? What music you should listen to? I'll just leave that one alone. I'm careful there too. What movies can you watch? What conversations are you allowing yourself to be involved with? Is it meet, meet this list? Does it match this list? Because that's the list of things you're supposed to do. Everything else outside of that you're not supposed to do. And let me, let me be clear. I think the principle is good, and I do think it can be a partial application of this, this passage. I, I do think one of the things that we need to do as believers, I'll talk about this more in a few moments, is we need to enjoy the things that, that are of common grace in this world, but we need to enjoy those things in light of the cross. So the world may throw themselves headfirst into them as believers in Jesus Christ, those who follow Jesus Christ, we need to be a little bit more careful about that. So I think there is some truth in that. We've heard this list, that it's the power of positive thinking. I need to think about these good thoughts, not think about the negative thoughts. I need to think about these good thoughts, be careful to think about these good thoughts, make sure I only introduce these good thoughts, and I'll be, be, be cautious here, but there's some truth there. We, we don't want to be Eeyore. As believers, none of us should be Eeyore, right? I mean, you have been rescued from the depths of hell. How can you mope? So anyway, but that's, but that's not what... As you carry the power of positive thinking to its extreme, what you end up doing is contradicting some of the things that the Bible teaches. So, for example, the Bible never tells you to think positive things about yourself. The Bible always tells you to think less of yourself. Always. The Bible never tells you to name it and claim it. Lord, I am declaring in your name that I am... That, 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 that's not in Scripture. Okay? And so we need to be very careful about that. I do think there's some truth there, but again, it's something I would mention with some caution. Some people think... Um, that this is a list of enjoying the things that God has created. I think there's truth in that, man. What a, the, the idea of lovely, it demands a response of love and affection from the people who see it. And it, it, all you need to do is wake up early enough to see a sunrise come from back here. There is a 
a response of love and affection that will flow out of your heart if you get to see it in its fullness. And, and I think what we need to be careful of, we don't let God's created things become the object of our worship. We enjoy them. We celebrate them. I, I say this phrase often, good friends, good food, good drink. We should party. Of all people, we should party more than anybody else. Christians throw lame parties. Don't we? Why? We shouldn't throw lame parties, but we shouldn't allow the the termination of our worship be on that party. Instead, what should happen is we should be at that party and recognizing the fact that it is our gracious God who has given us these gifts to enjoy. And so all of our worship should roll up past those things that are before us right to his feet as we worship him for the gifts that he has given us. Some of us look at this list as a list of the thanksgiving things that we're supposed to bring to God in those moments of prayer, supplication, uh, let our requests be made known with thanksgiving. Some people look at this list and say, these are the things that should cause you to consider those. I believe that is probably the most accurate view of this, this text, this list, simply because of the nature of the word to dwell on, is to take account of what you have. And so I think that is certainly part of it. But let me, let me just go general blanket. When Paul lays this out, He's challenging us to think on, to take account of everything that you have, to be focused with great effort and repeated intentionality on things that are true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable. And and when you think through those things and allow your mind to run to those things, where will such thoughts lead you? Certainly, it'll lead you to the things we just talked about. Conversations, movies, television, the, the, the thinking clearly and, and, and carefully to enjoy the created things that God has given us, the list of thanksgiving. But ultimately what happens is when you think that way, you land gazing at the face of Jesus Christ. In him, all of those, I'll call them abstract ideas, although I think they're a little more specific than that, but all of those abstract ideas are translated into a single person, a person unlike any other person, Jesus Christ himself. So in the midst of difficulty and trial and worry and and angst that fills your soul, in the midst of the burden that, that things could happen that haven't happened yet, let's make sure we look to Christ. So let me answer this. Why are we to be intentional about our thinking? Um, and one of the main reasons is this, anxiety isn't just an emotion that rises up in us because of all of life's uncertainties. There's plenty of uncertainties in life. And there's plenty, and I don't, I don't want to diminish this or minimize this at all, but there's plenty of reasons to be concerned. There's plenty of reasons that would cause anxiety and worry in us. There's, 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 every day, sufficient is the evil for the day thereof. Means every day has got enough evil to cover it. You don't need to be like, wow, I had nothing to worry about today. Anybody have a day like that? So, so there's plenty of reasons to be worried. There's plenty of things that, should, that would r- cause anxiety rise up in us. But, but it's not just about uncertainty. Anxiety is an emotion that at its most basic level is connected to our deepest desire. We worry about what we're devoted to. We worry about what we're devoted to. So when you lay in bed at night and your mind runs, what is it running to? We worry about what is our deepest desire. And so in all honesty, 
what I think that demonstrates for all of us, and, and, and all of us, I'm putting a capital U on us because it points to me, is that I think about God way too little. I begin to focus on anxieties and worries instead of on Him. A goofy example that I shared last week about going to Disney, right? You spend a gazillion dollars and drive a hundred million hours to get down to Disney with your kids. You stand in line for two or three hours to ride on the back of a plastic Dumbo. You, and I left this out last week, but you pay a fortune for anything that you would purchase there. It gets to be about 6.30, 7 o'clock. The kids have been at Disney all day long. It's been like their life's biggest dream. You have finally come through. You are dad of the year, or so you think. And then they start whining and complaining because, I'm hungry, I'm starving, when are we going to eat? So they really do lose the picture. They think that somehow you've driven to Disney to starve them to death. Better, cheaper ways, no, I shouldn't say that. (laughs) Probably didn't edit that one fast enough, sorry guys. And we do that with God all the time. Like, like God, can, God can reach down from heaven. Bring me, bring me back to heaven. I can't take care of my kid here on earth. No, we need to keep on thinking every day, not, not about tomorrow, not about the worries for tomorrow. Think about today. Think about the presence of God today. Attach your affections to him today. Keep on thinking. Keep on dwelling on him today over and over and over and over again. I don't know if I have time to do this. Oh, I forgot to tell you this. I'm planning, Lord willing, if I have time at the end of this to deal with some of the questions that came in. Completely forgot to tell you that. If not, then I'm going to pretend like I got no questions and you all have your answers. Just kidding. Um, I'll deal with it a different way. Um, uh, One of the things, as we keep on thinking, day, 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 not tomorrow, today, 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 we've got to go back to the story, and I'll be careful because I don't have a ton of time for this. We we go back to the story of the Israelites when they were hungry in the wilderness, right? And God provided that manna for them, that that, that vitamin-packed cracker. I don't know. Somehow it sustained them, so it was a miraculous gift from God. It was a miraculous gift from God. Every morning they walked out, and it was covering the ground, and the children of Israel were instructed to what? To go get what you needed for the day. No more. Just for the day. Now, of course, they're like us. Well, you know what? I mean, if I'm out here, I might as well grab a little extra. And they pack a couple extra totes of it into their tent, and the next morning they wake up, they're like, what is that smell? Well, see, God said, no, 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 the manna's going to decay. It's going to rot if you take too much of it. Why? Why? Because God wanted them to remember that he was enough for them every day. Go to them every day, every day. Change your thinking. Whatever tomorrow holds, God's already there. God's already there to give you what you need. He knows the end from the beginning. He does all things well, and he's not going to permit anything in the life of one of his children that won't work out for their eternal good. Change your thinking. Dwell on these things. Fix your gaze and attention on Christ and the goodness that is found in him. How? Let's be super practical. Redeem your time. 
Redeem your time, obviously. Come to church. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Come to church. We're going to do everything we can to continue to point your gaze back at Jesus. Point your gaze back at Jesus. That's what we want to do every week while we're here. Remember that it's about him, for him. It's, it's completely about him. Everything we do is for him because he is so worthy of everything we could possibly give to him. But, but it's more than that. Redeem your time. Redeem your, your laundry. I mean, not the actual clothes, but the time you do, do you use doing laundry. Redeem your nap. Redeem your commute, redeem your lawn mowing, redeem your work time, redeem your exercise, redeem your chores. How? Play music that communicates the truths of who God is. Listen to podcasts. You can literally listen to virtually anybody in the world. And some of them are pretty good. Some of them are a little sketchy, so be careful and discerning when you listen. But fill your mind full of the truths. Listen to, you can obviously get in the Bible, crack it open. You should be reading it. You should be listening to it. Huh? There's this awesome app called YouVersion. If you don't have it on your smartphone, I would encourage you to download it. And there's a, a feature on YouVersion where you can actually listen to the Bible being read to you. My, my wife listens to it every night. That's, that's her thing, which is great. So every night I go to bed listening to God's word being read. It's a beautiful thing, unless we're in numbers. And Solomon begat Bob, and Bob begat Bill, and, and it just gets repetitive. It's like, stop! It's really bad when you know, you, know, you know you're stuck deep in the genealogy when you're like, man, I can't wait to get to Leviticus. Um, get a devotional book. Join a community group. Sit down and intentionally and purposely write out a thanks list. These are the things I have to be thankful for. Redeem the time. Not as a reaction to great anxiety and worry that's come up in your life, but as a way of life ahead of time. From the, we sang it, from the moment that I wake up, when your feet hit the floor, may that be a reminder to you of the goodness of God. When the fork goes into your mouth, may that be a reminder to you of the goodness of God. You can set all your own reminders. It could be a bazillion things. You have so many things to be grateful for, to be thankful for, and to dwell on, to take account of. So keep on thinking. All right, let's move to verse 9. Do what you have learned and received, and heard, and seen from me, and the God of peace will be with you. So not only do we keep on praying, not only do we keep on thinking, but here we find we keep on doing. We keep on doing. The idea there is do, to practice, to execute, to strain its hard work, to press on, Present tense, again, an ongoing pursuit in your life. Keep on doing it. The fact that he has to tell us this, the fact that he's got to tell us, you got to keep on practicing, it, it means it doesn't happen naturally, folks. So it takes work. It takes intentionality to do. He says, what are the things you're supposed to do? You're supposed to do the things that you have learned, you have received, you have heard, and you have seen. Okay, so what are some of those things? I I'm going to try, and again, this is my best guess at what Paul is trying to get at here in the book of Philippians as he talks to the, the church there in Philippi. And, and he says this, what I, what I want you to do is consider the things and do the things that Paul is saying that I have taught you and that I have preached to you. 
So you remember that the church of Philippi didn't exist until Paul had gotten there. When Paul had gotten there, he went down to the river where sat this lady named Lydia. Lydia was gathered with a group of other people, and what they were doing is studying the Old Testament law. And you can almost imagine Paul saying here, what I want you to remember, Lydia, and church of Philippi, is that when I got there, I reminded you, man, I am so glad that you're a God-fearer. I'm so thankful that you're studying the Old Testament law. And I know, and I, I really feel for you, but I know that you've gotten to this place now as you've been reading reading the Old Testament law, that you've realized you can't do it yourself. I recognize that, and I actually celebrate the fact that you have recognized the fact there is nothing you can do to satisfy the law because you're just, you're broken. Just like all of Israel was leading up to this moment, you're broken, and you can't possibly do it all. But man, I got to sit on the side of that river and tell you, Lydia, and all you people that were with Lydia, I got to tell you the good news. I got to tell you that the Messiah, the promised Savior that you have read so much about in the Old Testament, he has come. And he hasn't come to show you how far off you are. He's come to bring you close to God. He's come to to make a way for you to be at peace with God. And and that way isn't going to be through acts of heroism or acts of religion. It's going to be through him doing the absolute unthinkable for you. He's going to pay the price you owe. It's going to be your sacrifice. He's going to take your place. And I'm here to tell you that's exactly what he did. He went to the cross where you should have gone. He died the death that you should have died. They took him down off that cross and they put him in a borrowed man's tomb. Good news is that's not where the story ends. The good news is that he's alive. God said, that's my boy. He fulfilled everything he needed to fulfill. He lived a life that none of you could ever live so that he could die a death that you should have died. And he, God raised him from the dead and said, everything he said was true. And so now Paul, Paul got to say to the people at the side of the river, listen, now it's your decision. It's up to you from here what you're going to do with this. Are you going to accept his payments of your account, the, the payments of his own blood by his own body being laid out on that tree? Or are you going to insist that you pay your own way with your own death? And if you're here this morning, you don't know who Jesus is. You don't know what he did for you. That, that's the message of the good news. And so at this point, you've heard it. You need to ask yourself the question, what am I going to do with Jesus? Are you going to accept what he's done for you on the cross? Or are you going to insist you pay your own way? Paul got to say that to this, this group of people sitting by the side of the river, and they gloriously accepted the payment of Jesus Christ on their behalf. And so what I would say is when, when Paul says, man, I want, you to, the, 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 I want you to make sure that you're listening to the things that I have taught you, the things I have preached to you. Yes, Sunday morning is a part of this. Teaching and preaching is definitely an aspect of what Paul is talking about. But it's even more than that. It's, it's what Paul wrote to them. It's, it's what Paul wrote to them. And you think about the book of Philippians as we've studied it over the last few weeks. You, you know that the message of the book of Philippians, there's a number of them, but one of them is there is joy to be had even in sadness and in difficulty because we have hope. So we have great joy. And so there's also some other things you put in there like there's an expectation that now that you are in Jesus, not to earn his acceptance, but, but now you live in light of his acceptance. 
as a citizen of heaven. And what does that look like? It looks like unity. Unity among the children of God. It looks like humility. Humility in the life of each child of God. It looks like worship. A study of God will always end, a right study of God will always end in worship. It looks like no more whining. It looks like forgetting those things that are behind and pressing forward to the things ahead. It looks like taking a hold of Jesus because Jesus has taken a hold of you. And Paul has laid all those things out in the letter that he wrote to the Philippians. He wrote all those things out in the letter he wrote to the Philippians that you have sitting on your lap right now. How would you know those things if you aren't reading your Bible? How much are you reading your Bible? There's no scorecard. You diving into it? Or are you carrying it around with you? Paul says, you know, in the middle of these anxiety things, it's good to expose yourself to good teaching and preaching. It's good to expose yourself to the very word of God and to pour yourself into it. There's also this other aspect of it, the stories that Paul could be telling, the, the stories of the things that they would have heard would have been Paul um, either sharing his stories of all these people he's working with coming back from his missionary journeys and saying, you know, you're not going to believe this, you're not going to believe that. Let me tell you about Timothy. Let me tell you about Epaphroditus. Let me tell you about all these different people in different situations in different churches. It could also be other people sharing stories. Just sanctified imagination for a second, okay? Can you imagine going to the church at Philippi and having Lydia sit on one side of the room and the Philippian jailer sitting on the other side of the room and Lydia saying, hey, 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 Mr. Jailer, I gotta come up with a name for the poor guy. Mr. Jailer, tell me what happened. I mean, Paul told us, but, but I wanna hear it. How did it happen from your perspective? And as he starts to walk through his story about how these men were chained and how they were driving him crazy because they kept singing songs over and over again. And the night dragged on and got late and darker and darker and then the earth shook. And as a jailer, the only sound that he heard were the chains hitting the floor. So he knew those men had been freed. He also knew that that meant certain death for himself and maybe his family. So he pulled out his sword and he got ready to fall on it himself. From the darkness, I heard the voice of our friend Paul say, Stop! Don't do it! We're here! We got you! And I realized in that moment what I needed most was whatever they had. Can you imagine sitting in that room hearing that? Can you imagine sitting in that room after he's done and he's like, okay, that's all fine and good, but he's got the coolest story? Let's talk to the little demoniac girl. She's got the greatest story. And she walks through her story how Paul turned in a spirit of probably not the greatest love ever demonstrated in Bible. But still through the power of Jesus Christ, released her from the demons that were afflicting her. Stories like that only happen in community. Stories like that only happen in relationships. And, and, and Sunday morning, I'm sorry, it's just a tiny part of it. You need to be tied into other people, not only so you can hear their stories, but so they can hear yours. Are you? 
You connected to another group of people within this place? If not, right outside that door, there's something called the Connection Station, conveniently enough. And I'm going to encourage you to leave a note, stop by, talk to somebody. Let's get you connected. That's what Paul's challenging them to do. Then he says, the things you've seen in me. This is the intimidating one. He says, look, the the example that Paul lived himself, it it was so powerful to the Philippians. He's like, listen, I find my joy in Jesus Christ, and I will bring the gospel even if it costs me my very life because Jesus is my one thing. So if I live, more opportunity to share Jesus. If I die, I get to see Jesus. How is this a bad thing? And, and so, so Paul says, in, 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 in your opportunities and as you get to know me, what I want you to do is look at how I live and follow me as I follow Jesus. Whew. I get worried saying that to my kids because they follow my example already and I see how it works sometimes. That first time as a parent, that first time one of your munchkins says something that you say all the time, is it not like that, oh no. They've been paying attention. Paul says, no, 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 you guys need an example of how to follow Jesus Christ, so you look at me and let's do this. Church, you need an example of how to follow Jesus Christ, so who's your example? Who's encouraging you? Who's walking with you? And then, who are you encouraging? Who are you walking with? Um, this is free, somewhat controversial at times. I don't think it is here. Young people, teenagers, um, young college students, just out of college, whatever. I know the desire to have an older person come alongside you and walk with you. Um, sometimes, <laughs> and I struggle with this a little bit, sometimes they don't recognize the fact of how important their influence is on you. And sometimes they're doing a million other things. So let me encourage you, young person, you be aggressive. And you grab one of our wise, older members. Notice, no age. I'm learning. I nearly got jacked up when I made a joke about 60-year-olds a few weeks ago. Being careful, they can still rumble, so don't mess with them. (laughs) Young person, grab somebody and let them know, listen, I don't know what this looks like. Can we get coffee? Right? So Paul is walking through all this. He's saying, listen, in the middle of worry and anxiety, I want you to keep on praying. I want you to keep on thinking. And remember, take account of what you have in Jesus Christ. Keep on doing. It takes work. Um, I, I have a few moments, not a ton, but a few moments to deal with a couple of questions that came last week. Um, so I will deal with a couple of them really quickly. And then I'll land um, where I think we should land. So let me, here's one of the questions that came up. Why, why, why is anxiety and worry such a big epidemic in America? We are one of the wealthiest and most developed countries in the world, and yet it's, it's everywhere. Why is that? There's a lot of reasons. I'll be clear. <laughs> one of them is financial. Two aspects. One, we worry about our finances. Two, and I'm sorry if anybody's in here in pharmaceutical sales, but some of it has to do with the money-making giants that are our pharmaceutical companies. Um, some of it is a self-fulfilled prophecy. Uh, we have allowed our struggles to dictate our identity. 
Um, I won't use the exact name or the exact situation, but I will share this with you. Um, in the last couple of months, I had walked into a Starbucks and a fellow knew I was a pastor and, and said, hey, this is what I struggle with. That was his opening line. Are you a pastor? Yes. This is what I struggle with. <laughs> and my response was, cool, I'm bald, so what? Why do, we, why do we take identity in the things that we struggle with? And then we surround ourselves with people who struggle with the same thing, and so it just compounds. And then, and our ladies did a fantastic job with their theme for the last weekend. We, we live this such a public life of Instagram-like life where we're like, this is normal. See, I always eat things that look this pretty. And that's not true. Your oatmeal isn't pretty. But we put a spin on everything. And so when that Instagram thing comes out, the comparison thing, comparison thing comes out. And, and in our culture and society, which has shifted to the place now where success is no longer uh, defined by relationships, instead it's defined by materialism, that, that creates this huge conflict. Um, we, we have a, uh, in our country, because we have so many cool gadgets and toys and opportunities, we have developed an inability to be bored. That's great. Um, I don't have permission, but there was a, a young youngster. I was talking to the dad, <laughs> and he had his kids all weekend. And he looked out the window and he saw one of his kids playing with two rocks in the yard. Like, yeah, that's what we used to do. And that doesn't happen anymore, does it? We have an inability to be bored. I think the greatest problem is this: our expectations are off. We believe that we're not supposed to suffer. We believe that we shouldn't have any pain. And so any pain, any frustration is to be avoided at all costs. And so what do we do? We try to numb the pain. We try to numb the frustration. The complicated part is this. When you numb the pain, you also numb the good. And now you have this cycle again where I'm numbing the pain, but now I don't have any good. And now, what, you know what that's resulted in? Antidepressants for your antidepressant. And that's not, it's actually almost humorous, but it's not because that's where we have gone as a country. Let me hit this one. This one's, I gotta be careful because it's a loaded question, and I'll admit that. When are anxiety medications just a cop-out? You're not making me fall for that trap. Um, I'll start by reminding you that mind, soul, and body are so very interconnected. Um, and so when we deal with the body and some of the medication there, it's actually supposed to present opportunities for the soul and the mind to work through some processes, to work through some healing issues. Um, I would caution a person, I wouldn't say it's a cop-out, but I would caution a person who is depending only on the, the pharmaceutical fix without addressing any of the other areas. It would be similar to one of you being diagnosed with high blood pressure, and they hand you a high blood pressure pill, and you take it, but you don't change anything else in your lifestyle because you're depending on that one thing. That's, that's not the way that that um, we should be doing this. Okay, I'm flying through these, so actually I've got a couple minutes. Um, if worry and yielding to anxiety is a sin, then would we say Jesus sinned in Gethsemane? Great question. Uh, easy answer is no. But I should probably explain it a little more than that. <laughs> um, I think what's happening in Gethsemane is this. Jesus is showing us how to deal with the difficult and heavy moments of our lives. I think in Jesus, we see there's still joy to be had even in the most excruciating of times. I mean, think about it. There he is facing his arrest, his torture, his execution. And he's so grieved and he's so broken 
that he's sweating drops of blood as he prays. And as he prays and he fears and he trembles, what he says is, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. If it's possible, let's go another route. But, nevertheless, not what I want. It's about what you want. So what Jesus did in that moment is he's obeyed the command to not allow the worry and the anxiety to define him and determine his next steps. Instead, he's, as an author uses this, he, he takes his anxiety to the Father and he worries on God instead of the thing around him. So what is the difference between the weightiness of a situation and worrying about the situation? It's a good question too. I think the, the reality is that there are a lot of situations in life that are going to create a weight in our chest because it's so serious. And you actually see that throughout all of Scripture. You actually see that in Paul's life. You actually see that earlier in the book of Philippians when he's talking about Epaphroditus who got so very sick. He said, man, I'm, I would have sorrow upon sorrow if he died. And, and you were so greatly concerned and he is so greatly concerned for you. That's the same word as anxiety. He was worried about you because you heard he was sick. So, so there are reasons and, and, and opportunities for that weight to present itself in our lives. Um, this is what I'll say about the difference between weightiness of a situation and worrying about a situation. I, I think if we're not careful, we say we need to remove all worry. You should never have fear. You should never have worry. But the problem is God isn't glorified when Christians act happy about horrific things. That does not put a smile on his face. God's not glorified either when you're Chicken Little or Debbie Downer running around saying, oh, there's nothing to be concerned about in this life. God's got it all. Well, he does, but there's plenty to be concerned about. God's also not glorified when you adopt a stoic behavior. You basically flatline through life. Nothing gives you joy. Nothing makes you smile. But you know what? I'm just constant in all things. Um, Jesus wasn't. He, he showed emotion, didn't he? Guys, there's only one thing you do without, two things you do without emotion. Sleep, and that's not always true. And die. Or just death, not the dying process. Everything else includes emotion. The way God created you. Just like himself. So the, the weightiness part, what, what, what you see is, is that um, so God's glorified in the midst of those deep pains in your life, that heavy weight that rests on your shoulders. God's most glorified when in the middle of the most impossible of situations, you still find a way to say, okay, I trust you. Help me because my heart is going to fall out of my chest. But even in that, even through the tears, even through just the absolute mourning process, even through the, the terror that is this moment, I'm going to find a way to trust you, but help me. Because in that moment, God is walking with them. And let, let me close by encouraging you with this. For some of you, worry and anxiety is going to be the thing that's hard. That This is going to be that thing that you're going to have to work through. And I want to encourage you to stick with it. I don't encourage you that, that, that your worry and your anxiety is not a measurement of how much faith you have. It's just going to be difficult. And keep in mind that the end goal isn't oof, total relief. 
Your end goal is Jesus. It's more of him. But when you think about the peace of God throughout Scripture, the peace of God never removes worries. The peace of God doesn't step in and take all the problems away. The peace of God isn't about the absence of difficulty. The peace of God is about the presence of God. The peace of God in Paul's life wasn't that the thorn got removed or that God just said, there, go for it. It was that the power of Christ may rest in me. That as I walk through this difficult time, God's got me. If you are anxious or worrying, you're being invited to rest in him. Father, thank you for these moments. God, thank you for, a, for difficulty. Lord, I pray that in our difficulty and in our anxiety, that, Lord, we would rest in you and trust you more than we ever have because you're worthy of being trusted. <laughs> God, would you, would you show yourself to the person who's sitting here this morning and really wrestling with anxiety? Do you grab a hold of their hearts, whether it be through your word, through the encouragement of a brother and sister in Christ, through, through just a moment where they connect with you that they haven't connected before, Lord, would you allow them to experience your presence in a very real and vivid way right now? Because God, you got us. And you're never going to let go of us. So may we rest in that. We love you, Lord. Amen.